Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great And this week's guest is an actor, stand-up comedian, and one of Britain's best-selling crime authors. It's Mark Billiam. Thanks for coming on, Mark. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. The issue, issue we're going to look at this week is a shoot holiday special from 1996, and this features exclusively a preview of the forthcoming European Championships. Uh, and the reason that we're touching on the European Championships this week is that Mark's latest novel, Cry Baby, uh, is also centred round about the European Championships. So, front cover, uh, we've got Euro Champs Extra, and there's a picture of uh, England's Alan Shearer and Scotland's Gary McAllister. Uh, there on the front, two players that had different fortunes when their sides met. And <laughs> I think top right, that looks like David Platt taking the plunge this summer. Is, it, is that David Platt? I'm, I couldn't figure out who that was. Yeah, it looks like David Platt. Okay. Yeah, that's, that was my guess, David Platt, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the, it's uh, surrounded by the, uh, the, the flags of all the nations taking part. Uh, surround the two players. I think what's, what's interesting down there as well, Tom, is not, normally what we do is we look at the, the cover price as well, which I'm sure you were going to cover, uh, but underneath the flags, it's just interesting to look at the old drachma for the, the Greece, the pesetas for Spain. I've no idea what Malta had for currency. And it was the Dutch florin, was it, for Holland? The, that was what their currency was. So it's, it's you know, it ages it, obviously, because it would all be under the Euros now. Um, so it's just quite interesting, that. So we jump into the jump into the issue then. So pages yep. two and three. So Euro 96 is here, it says, and on the uh, the editorial, so the editorial introduction states, this year we've devoted the publication to the European Championship Finals, which, as even the maddest cow knows, is being staged here in England. Uh, and so and that, that comment is basically due to earlier that year, the EU imposed a worldwide ban on exports of British beef due to an outbreak of mad cow disease. And Mark, you touched on that very briefly in your novel. Yeah, well, obviously, when I when I decided when I was going to set the book, which is you know summer of '96, I was thinking about all sorts of things that were that were happening back there, and obviously, you know what what music people are listening to, what shows on the TV, what what films are in the cinemas and stuff. Obviously, Euro '96 was was front and center. Because yeah. my my detective is a big football fan, so you know he's very keen to start watching. Obviously, you know trivial little things like murder get in the way uh, of his of his enjoyment of the uh, of the championships. Um, but yeah, mad cow disease is covered because that's you know he, he turns on the TV and there's footage of 
cows being hoiked onto bonfires by, by JCBs and stuff. So when that's not on, he's he's trying to catch up with the with the football that he's videoed. You know, <laughs> all, all those wonderful, wonderful nostalgic things like videoing the football. But there you go. And did you did you enjoy doing that? Sort of jumping back into the into the, the past and, and yeah, and some of the games. I mean, you know, there's there's Shearer and McAllister on the front of this, and obviously the the England Scotland game is a, is a big set piece during the book. Yeah. And I, I went back to watch the you know went back and watched uh, footage of the match just to check a few things, um, to check, for example, where uh, to make sure that Flower of Scotland had been played at the start of that game. So I think I think I'm right that it was around '96 that that was adopted. Uh, the the the, Scot- the the Scotland would play that, and I just wanted to check they had played it at the start of this game, and they did. Right. <laughs> it's straight strange. Sorry, just that you mentioned that it's strange because I remember around that time there was a. I mean, it wouldn't have been everyone, but it seemed to be a clamour to go to O'Flower of Scotland. People are saying uh-huh. um, Scotland the Brave was boring. I think, and if you forward to now, I think exactly the same thing is now happening about Scotland the Brave. That people are saying, oh, it's boring, it's terrible, let's get rid of it. Yeah, or Flower of Scotland, sorry. Um, so, we're fickle, fickle fans, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we moved, and I think in 82, we moved from God Save the Queen to Scotland the Brave, and there was a wee bit of a who had SFA, but a bit reluctant to move from God Save the Queen. And, and there, was all, there was all that kind of like, oh, we, we don't want to move to our, our own that anthem, and like, FIFA like oh you know the same country and I'll be offending England and all this kind of stuff but uh, we moved to Scotland the Brave in about eighty two uh, and and Florida Scotland obviously became popular with the rugby fans. I think I think that you mentioned there about FIFA and the home nations have always been petrified of any sort of excuse that they come in and say right one country one one team it's like so things like that probably really did put the fear into the 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 people running. The, the different, you know, nations. So as we go along here in the, in the magazine as well, well, well because the, this magazine's talking about uh, the Euro 96 to come, but uh, we'll, we'll have a wee look at what actually happened as well uh, as, as we go along. So the first two pages, Euro 96 is here. Uh, there's some photographs there of the previous three champions, uh, Denmark in 92, Holland in 1988 and France in 1984, plus a wee picture of uh, England cel- England players celebrating. And uh, do, uh, just in, uh, talking about uh, Denmark 92, I recently watched on Netflix, there's a, a film, Summer of 92. don't know if anybody's seen that. And it's uh, it's basically, it's a dramatisation of, of Denmark uh, at that at that finals. It's really, really good. It's really, really entertaining. Uh, so, uh, I don't know, is there anything anyone wants to... Wants to yeah, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna pick them up on they've barely got into this and they're making stuff up for me. So they're talking about the, the very first European Championships and they said it was a the finals played at the Stadio Chamartin, I'm not sure how to pronounce that in Madrid, which was where Real Madrid played before the, the Bernabeu opened. Now the Bernabeu opened in nineteen forty seven and so this stadium that they're saying the final was in has a capacity of 22,500 but here they're saying there was 120,000 fans at that stadium which no longer existed and even the Bernabeu I don't think held 100 it might have held 120,000 but I looked up in wiki and it was 79,000 was there in the final so they've made a the complete mess of that so from that <laughs> moment forward I, I'm, I'm obviously taking everything with a pinch of salt that they say 
I, I, I don't think you can read a magazine like this for, <laughs> for accuracy. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, novelists get this all the time. We're forever getting emails and stuff going, you know, my enjoyment of your otherwise excellent book was spoiled by the fact that, you know, in 1974 on an episode of Doctor Who, I think you'll find, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you can have these things fact-checked, um, you know, to within an inch of their life and you'll always get something wrong. I don't think magazines like Shoot were scrupulously fact-checked. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, this is this is what Tom and I do, and especially me, I mean, I've got a huge collection, and the amount of inconsistencies and errors within it is it's well, You're right to be furious. You're right to be absolutely apoplectic with rage. Well, any excuse, I say, any excuse. <laughs> I think this issue in particular seems quite sort of filler heavy, and there's, we'll get to it. There's several wee things that I'm like, they've, they've, they've made that up. That can't, that can't be true. Yeah. So we, we turn over the turn over the page then. The pages with six and seven. Uh, spotlight on the duel of the decade, England v Scotland, and it looks at a few of the previous England versus Scotland clashes. Uh, Mark, uh, did you go to the the England Scotland games when they were regular occurrences? No, I mean, in fact, in terms of Euro '96, I was only at one game, but it was it was it was when we spanked Holland, so that was a good night. Yeah. Um, that was the only game I was at live. Um, uh, no, but I mean, I'd, I you know, I I was such a fan of things like the the home internationals, um, which I still miss. Actually, I still miss those home internationals. Yeah. And you know, obviously, the 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 breaking of the uh, the goal at, was that was that at Wembley or was that at Hampden? Yeah, Park? I was at Wembley. Yeah, I was at Wembley. Um, and I, you know, this was a, whether I, I don't, I'm not sure I'd call it the jewel of the decade, but it was it was obviously going to be a big game. And and uh, in the book, it's a very big game because my my, my copper thorn is his boss is Scottish, um, so you know this becomes a very big a big game, and they're all gathered in the pub watching it. And and I mean, it was an amazing game. It was just going back and watching it again. Um, it it kind of had everything. It was it was certainly dramatic. Yeah, absolutely, it was. Yeah. So I uh, so this points out England and Scotland would join the same group for this tournament and this was the first time that they'd play each other since they scrapped the annual game in 1989 and the article talks about the very first unofficial game between England and Scotland at Kensington Oval on the 5th of March 1870 and uh, the Scotland team and the 1-1 draw was made up of Scots resident in London uh, so the game was stopped the fixture was stopped after the 1989 meeting some said that the fixture had lost its meaning because there were so many club mates playing against each other Others said that the perpetual threat of crowd trouble made the game not worth the hassle. A few said that Scotland were tired of losing since they had only enjoyed five victories in the previous 22 years. Uh, do we have any thoughts on why the games were stopped? Well, I, I was just um, surprised by actually how close, in fact, that, that bit on the on the right-hand side there where it talks about the record in was 107 matches played, you know, 42-40. Uh, 42 England wins, 40, uh, 40 Scottish wins. That's pretty flipping close yeah. over more than a, a more than a hundred games, isn't it? Yeah, you, you've extended it quite a bit by now by all, all of the recent meetings. Possibly, possibly, <laughs> yeah. I tell you, I, I tell you what, we've taken a few spankings, haven't we? I mean, nine three, five nil, and there was a few other ones that I looked at as well. And we've taken a few spankings off of you. So thank you for not mentioning the likes of the nine three. That's no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of it. <laughs> yeah, 1961 is just a wee bit too far back to to go. <laughs> that article picks out a few of the, the classic games. Nineteen twenty eight five one win for Scotland. The Wembley Wizards. Nineteen sixty one nine three. Uh, England nine past Haffey. Nineteen sixty seven. 
It's, uh, when Scotland became the unofficial world champions uh, with a 3-2 win at Wembley. And Scotland's centenary match in I think February 1973 it was a 5-0 win for England on a uh, I think it was a frozen Hamden mm. pitch uh, that night. Yeah. So will we move uh, over then? Pages well, I just want pages? to just I, I want to focus on that photograph in the middle because that is one of my favourite yeah. Scotland England photographs. It's uh, you may have may not seen it before, but it's got Alex McLeish head and shoulders above. Who, who have we got at the front there? That's um, Des Walker, Stuart Pearce, and John Fashner. No, I don't think it's either. Is that Garth Crooks? I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm, I'm convinced. Well, Des, Des Walker is looking remarkably like Diego Maradona. Actually, <laughs> it's a very weird photograph. And uh, but there you go. It's a, it's a cracking picture, isn't it? Four of them. It's probably the game from 1989. Hmm. Are you going to look up the the team? Uh, well, I suppose since we're um... yeah. No, it's just yeah. that the fact that I mean, basically, Alex McLeish is winning the ball there, and you've got three of the the toughest England players there. Possibly two of them, you know, one's still up for grabs, but I'm I'm still got my fingers crossed for that one. And, you know, it just looks as if Thunder would have, you know, peeled out from from that challenge at some point. That's just an absolute belter. I love it. What have you so, found, Tom? Uh, yeah, it's 27th of May, 1989. Uh, Scotland nil, England 2 at Hampden Park. And the England team that day was... Uh, Peter Shelton, Gary Stevens, Stuart Pearce, Neil Webb, Terry Butcher, Brian. The 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 site I'm on, England footballers online, is missed out. He was playing number five. Terry Butcher, Brian Robson, Trevor Stephen, and you're right, John Fashion. There you go, Tony yeah. Cotty, Chris Waddle. So I mean, it's just a really really impressive uh, win that. Yeah, you're right. Well done. No, that's okay. It wasn't a competition or anything. So we move on to pages six and seven, which is we focus on it. Uh, Sharp Shearer, uh, Alan Shearer, England and Blackburn. The magazine follows this kind of kind of format all the, all the way through. Where there's a picture of a player, there's a wee couple of wee quotes by him, a wee sort of tale of uh, how how he how he got there through through the ranks from his senior debut to where he is now, and a few wee lists of, of facts. So these, these are the th- these are the things I really loved about about this magazine and magazines like that. And, and that this seems to have sort of gone out of football reporting now. It, it, sort of the fun of it, I guess. In that, you know, you find the most interesting thing for me is that is that Alan Shearer's nickname was Billy Big Pocket, <laughs> which is just I love that. You know, or, or alternatively, Smokey because he liked Smokey Bait and Crisps. It seemed absolutely uh, compulsory that you had a nickname. And lots of other players in the books talk about what their nicknames in. Andy Gorham is Barney Rubble. Tony Adams is Rodders. And you've got Psycho and the Bulldog and the Terminator. I love that stuff. You know, and they talk about, they're always, what's your favourite food? What's your favourite TV show? This is this is the stuff the fans want to know. You know, I kind of love this stuff. Billy Big Pockets, look at him. See, actually, it's just reminded me of... So Alan Shearer's obviously had a few more nicknames. And I've got an article from Shoot Again in 1994. And I'm going to read this out. And, and I apologise in advance for it. But it says, Despite his goal-scoring ability, Shearer wasn't spared from the teasing of his mates. They nicknamed him Helmet Head because of the thick square haircut he had one season. And they also called him Chink because they reckoned his eyes looked oriental when he smiled. Nice. That's brilliant. 1994. There we go. Yeah. yeah that would be better that he said one of his other nicknames is Shocks, though nobody really knows why. Yeah. 
No, maybe that's to do with the hair. I don't know. I don't know. But there he is. There he is. Yeah, so uh, Alan Shearer there. Uh, my favourite pre-match meal has been well publicised. I really do like chicken and beans. Uh, but when I go out for a meal with my wife, I prefer something a bit more substantial. Indian, Chinese, state, you name it. <laughs> I love these interviews. I love these interviews. There's loads more great stuff to come about, you know, yeah. the, the, just their hobbies and, and a few controversial opinions. A few more sort of slightly, you know, a bit more controversial than I like chicken and beans. Um, <laughs> a few people chipping in on, uh, what's, what's the one? I, who's the one who's uh, passionately opposed to the National Lottery? Gary oh, McCall- yeah, Gary McAllister. Gary McCall- That's coming up later. Yeah, 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 Fiercely yeah. opposed to the National Lottery. <laughs> Whoa, controversial there, Gary. <laughs> uh, right, so as, uh, I know it's, they've, uh, there's a quote here from uh, Pelly as, as well. Pelly's quoted a, a couple of times. Uh, through this, the quote on Pele, basically saying that Shearer's the greatest, the greatest striker around. Alan Shearer's the best striker in England at the moment and among the top ten in the world. You could go down in history as one of the world's truly great players, and that makes him very valuable to both his club and his country. And Pele was probably right. I think he has gone down as one of the the, the world's truly great players. It was Pele no well known for just saying what yeah. he wanted interviewers to hear. There was yeah. there was a point where he. He was interviewed about Scotland winning the World Cup, and he said, "Oh yeah, I think Scotland." Are... This was nineteen ninety eight or something, and he says, "Oh, Scotland are more than capable of winning the World Cup." He'll go to the next team. Yeah, Denmark are more than capable of winning the World Cup. He's, he's for hire. He's just quotes for hire as Pele. Rent a quote. Yeah. Also, there's a bit, there's a bit on this page where it talks about Shearer and it talks about the SAS Super Alan Shearer. Hmm. But around that time, I always thought SAS was Shearer and Sheringham. I thought that's what the SAS meant. No, in, in, in those terms, Sutton. I remember it at Blackburn. Oh, really? Oh, god! Any two players begin with yeah. S, I guess. Yeah. No, you're right about um, sharing them as well because I, I saw one of the documentaries on Euro Euro '96, yeah. and that was mentioned as well. So I think it was oh, okay. Shearer and anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that is that's right. But I watched the preview the other day there, and they were asking who would partner Shearer. Would it be Robbie Fowler or Les uh, Ferdinand? And, and he's asked Alex Ferguson, and Ferguson said it'll be it'll be sharing him. But the, the panel was talking about whether it should be Fowler or Les Ferguson. I think they made the right decision. Yeah. So <laughs> again, we'll, we'll sort of have a wee look at some of these players, how they actually did in the tournament. So Shearer finished his top scorer with five goals. Uh, going into the tournament, Shearer hadn't scored uh, for almost two years since he scored two in a friendly with the USA in September 1994. Right. Uh, so having a wee look at the tournament, the opening game, England won, Switzerland won, and Shearer opened the scoring in the twenty-third minute. Uh, and uh, Kubali Turkelmaz of Grasshopper equalised with a penalty with seven minutes left to go. And so, as we were saying earlier on, Mark, your your sort of novel kind of kicks off on on the day, the opening day of the tournament. Did set around the tournament, did that sort of help you with the sort of beats of the story? Because I think all the England games, something kind of important happens. Yeah, and it also gave me it gave me a timeline. It gave me a sort of because like you have to make those decisions, you know, is this a book that's gonna gonna the action's gonna happen over twenty-four hours or over three months or whatever? And I just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, set it during the, the, the time frame of the tournament. So that it, yeah, it pretty much kicks off with that with that first game and Tom Thorne's desperate to watch the first match and he, he, he doesn't. And so he just gets, you know, his, his boss, his Scottish boss, puts his head around an office door and asks the score. And somebody, <laughs> this is when England have gone one up and he just, he, and he spits out the name Shearer. He just spits it out. And then, of course, he's delighted. 
delighted when when the Swiss equalise, and then it gets pointed out that you know when we won the the World Cup in '66, we started off with a draw, and you know all there's all that sort of banter going away. As I say, lots of lots of stuff like murder and and you know child abduction uh, tend to uh, overshadow um, the tournament for for my detective. So that by the end of it, he just hears he, he just the first he hears of the result of the semi final is 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 when word comes back of the riots in central London. Mm. Um, and he goes, oh, what's happened? <laughs> and these two cops are going, it's just bloody football. And then he finds out about Southgate and we'll get to that, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, again, you mentioned briefly as well that episode of the, the Lightly Lads. Yes, absolutely. That's mentioned in the book. That's mentioned in the book. It's one of my favourite episodes of the Lights. It is the classic one, isn't it? When they, all they discover is England for... Yeah, that's all they see. England's and then a word beginning with F, and they're sitting there going, "England flooded, England fiasco, England failure." It's a great episode. Yeah, and then you know, you like to say with Thorn tapes a few games, and you kind of did that in those days. You would tape the game and then desperately try to avoid the score or not talk to. It. And as soon as somebody started talking about, "Shop, shop," I've taped it. Yeah, or or if it's a really boring game, uh, the result of which you already know, you can fast forward through yeah. the tedious bits. <laughs> Uh, right, Andy, we turn over the page. Oh, and here we've got Ali McCoist, Scotland and, and Rangers. So Scotland's golden boy there, Scotland's big hope for that for that tournament. So again, we learned some interesting wee things about Coisty here. Uh, we find out that he's frightened of spiders. Yep. Uh, so there he is, um, blowing into a packet of ready salted crisps. <laughs> yeah. So he uh, says here, his big pals are wet, wet, wet. And... Uh, he made a, a record for a Don't Drink and Drive campaign and it got into the charts. Uh, now, I tried to have a look to see where his record got in the charts, but unfortunately, when you search for Ali McCoist, Drink, Drive and Record, <laughs> what you do find is that he was done for drink driving just two months after the tournament. Ah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> so I couldn't find anything about the record that, that he'd made. You you would want it the other way about though, wouldn't you? With like a Google search, you'd want to get a if you got a driving ban, you'd then want to release a record and hope that that gets more hits, and so it would sort of put it right down to the very bottom. So he's done it the wrong way about. Yeah, uh, and he says there, everyone thought it was a bad draw for us to play in the same group as Holland, England, and Switzerland. We have a healthy respect for each of these countries, but we still fancy our chances. For me personally, I have a mission. I've played against England three times. Lost twice, drawn once, and I've never scored against them. I want that. Do I want to change all that at Wembley? So it was a bad draw for us. Mm. Um, uh, absolutely, it was. A, it was a tough, tough group. I'm just going to say about that. So we've got a, a picture of Alan McCoy in his Scotland strip, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of that kit. If I'm being perfectly honest, yeah. it's, it's not even close to one of my favourites. It's a sort of it's the old blue tartan effect thing. So. Yeah, not one of my favourites. Again, on that um, preview I was watching, an ITV uh, preview, McCoy was on the panel and they'd asked at the end who they thought would win it. And uh, McCoy had said, I I think Germany will win it. They'll probably just be too strong for us in the final. (laughs) Yeah, bless him. Uh, Anything anything you say about, uh, about Super Alley? Well, he 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 didn't he didn't change that record at Wembley, did he? Yeah. Um, and uh, 
I'm just astonished in, in all the way through the magazine in, the, in their photo choices. Were these photos, do you think, so? I mean, obviously the action photos, they just get, you know, they're easy to get, but then they want a sort of little character photo. Mm-hmm. So as you say, the one of him blowing up a bag of crisps, was that something he posed for, for the magazine? Or just, did they just, obviously, they haven't got Google back in those days, so yeah. I don't know where the hell they found it from, but it's it's a ridiculous photograph, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I was I've actually only just noticed, because I wasn't sure what brand they were, but based on his cap, it says Walker's on there, so... Ah, oh, it's a big sponsorship thing. Uh-huh. Maybe maybe he had some sort of deal with them. So he he, he, uh, he, he was in there way before Lineker, the whole football yeah. and Walker's Crisp thing. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, will we go over over the page then? So, well, pages ten and eleven. Look at Wembley Stadium and all the great games played there. The wonder of Wembley, and then of course probably the most famous game, uh, the nineteen sixty six World Cup final. And as well, there we've got Manchester United lifting the lifting the FA Cup. And, the, the picture uh, I love, the picture I love is is the is uh, is United with the European Cup in nineteen sixty eight because when I was at school. Uh, we had a film. If, if if it was raining on Wednesday and you couldn't do sport, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon, so you couldn't go out and play football or whatever, we'd have to sit and watch that film. It was the only film they had. And we'd sit and watch that match over and over again, Man United versus Benfica, to the point where you knew every word of the commentary. And uh, yes, it's Brian Kidd's birthday, blah, 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 blah. But I knew that match absolutely <laughs> backwards. So seeing seeing that shot of, of Charlton, and I'm not sure that is with him. Um, lifting the trophy, it, that that brought back a lot of semi-happy memories of watching that game endlessly. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so and as we patched the 1986 FA Cup final, the first all Mersey affair, um, Liverpool beat uh, Everton. Uh, Wembley cost £750,000 to build and is today worth more than £100 million. Wow. Uh, and there, I think we got a quote from, uh, and, and, and this, um, Andy, I think it just uh, bears out what you were saying earlier on. We got another quote from Pelly, uh, who never played at Wembley, but still <laughs> feels happy to talk about it. I'm disappointed I never had the chance to play at Wembley. Uh, it's one of the greatest and most famous football stadiums in the world. I, that was something I didn't quite understand, this little this little item here with, with those quotes Wembley fans who's gonna who's gonna go nah it's rubbish yeah. rubbish stadium I'll never like playing there I'd rather play at bloody you know Roker Park or I'd rather but it's, I just thought that's a that that's a filler mm. I mean there's quite a lot of filler in the yeah. in the magazine to be honest and that is that's a prime example of it four footballers who quite like Wembley <laughs> yeah you know the fact that Pelly says he never played at Wembley I bet he says he still scored at Wembley though he's probably scored about six or seven goals knowing him just what one of the interesting things, it took 300 working days to build Wembley. That doesn't seem like that long to build. No. That just, no. I was really, really impressed by that, you know, for, for, for what it was. Um, but talking about something I've just noticed, I never I never thought about it as I was reading through it, but something I've just noticed, and you're talking about all the filler, there's no adverts at all in this magazine. That's true. Ah, okay. It's done at all, and you think that's your perfect filler, isn't it? Just, but the fact, very fact that at this point, '96 as well, these magazines were, you know, the the shoot magazine would generally be probably a good percentage would be adverts um, at that point. So it's really unusual not to see any at all. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't notice that either. Yeah, I never thought about that either. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's the wonder of the wonder of Wembley. <laughs> It's just the way you said that there, Tom. Well, there we go. There's a wonder of Wembley. There we go. <laughs> I'm not, not impressed. <laughs> Next page, pages 12, 12 and 13. Uh, Dennis the Menace, 
This is uh, Dennis Bergkamp, Holland and Arsenal. And uh, a quote there from, uh, again, Mark mentioned briefly in your book, a quote there from Bruce Rear. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he gets a mention. Quite a lot of players get a mention. Um, I, I, lo I love the fact that, uh, that Dennis is a very passionate snooker player. Um, <laughs> and again, that, that, you know, these little facts that crop, crop up through the book, that, 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 through the magazine, that Bergkamp likes snooker. And Teddy Sheringham likes bowling. And I presume, I, I presume he means like crown green bowling. I mean, I, I'm sure he didn't mean ten pin bowling. What a bizarre, what a bizarre thing. To, yeah, when, I, when I'm not training, nothing, nothing I like better than a bit of crown green bowling. You wouldn't have thought it, would you? They, they, they all, they all seem. Uh, there's a lot of them that like, obviously, golf as well. But they, they yeah. all think that they, they could go pro in whatever they like. So yeah, but yeah. but McAllister, there's a bit coming up about McAllister. Well, he was a very, very handy golfer, wasn't he? Didn't he mm. play for Scotland Junior yeah. Golf Team or something? Mm -hmm. Oh well. So uh, yeah, I so uh, Bruce Bruce Rioch says I was. Um, Dennis Bergkamp was my first priority and target when I joined Arsenal. I've long admired him as a very talented player who not only scores goals, but provides the drive and brains of the whole attack. I'm sure he'll be outstanding for Holland in the European Championship. Uh, so Bergkamp played in, uh, played in all three group games for Holland, scored the second goal in their 2-0-1 over Switzerland, winning man of the match. And, uh, and Bergkamp certainly made a big impact in English, in English football over the years. Uh, and he, he mentions there that he was he, he was named after Dennis Law, very big Spurs fan as well. Brought up as a Spurs fan, that's mentioned as well. Um, see, I, I wonder, I wonder, with footballers like that, you know, because he's obviously very passionate about Arsenal as well, you now having played there and had success there. I wonder if that then changes their allegiance, uh, or if as soon as they start. Like it's going to be. It's not. It's not going to be one rule for everybody, is it? It's going to be based on the individuals. But like so with Dennis, I wonder if he still considers himself a Spurs fan because I think he says his family are all Spurs fans as well. Is that right? He's wearing a very, very fine cream zip-up cardigan. Some of the, some of the fashions on show uh, have not have not worn well with time. Yeah, yeah. that that one reminds me of the. the my mum used to knit us cardigans with, I think it was wire that it was made of. It was like the most itchy, yeah. uncomfortable thing. Um, that, that looks itchy, the thing <laughs> Dennis has got on. I bet he's got, he's got to have a vest on under that, surely. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, we go over the over the page then. So uh -huh. over the page, and there we go. Uh, Ward Gaza, still daft as a brush. Paul Gascoigne, England and Rangers. So uh, I guess he was a great hope for England for the, for the tournament. It's brilliant being in the England squad. It was always a dream of mine to play for England. We must have a good chance of winning the tournament. I hope to do my bit to make sure that we do. Uh, so this gives, it says Gaza's sense of humour is internationally famous. <laughs> and it lists some of his favourite tricks. Uh, have you, either of you picked any out? Yeah, I, it, it, it sent, you can call it a sense of humour if you like. <laughs> But as it as it lists things like you know pouring beer over his sleeping teammates, <laughs> if I was one of Gaza's sleeping teammates, I don't think I'd wake up from that covered in brown ale, going, "Oh, Gaza, <laughs> you and you and your internationally renowned sense of humour." I'd just call him a twat. I think. Um, he, I, I don't know. I don't know. He, you know, he. Um, what can you say about him? He had he had his moment of magic, obviously. At Wembley. Yeah. Um, but he certainly doesn't look like he knows how to play tennis in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. 
I, lo- I loved his, um, his quote. He says, one of the things I enjoyed about Italy was the food. I love Italian food and did before I went there. I even signed a contract with Lazio in an Italian <laughs> restaurant, or as they call it in Italy, a restaurant. So, I'm, I, I mean, maybe it was done in the UK, but yeah. Yeah. So he says that he plans to keep on playing for years yet, but one day he would love to be the manager of Newcastle with Chrissy Waddle as his number two. He's mentioned He's mentioned that, I've seen that mentioned before elsewhere and other things as well, that that was his, his dream. And it was always Chris Waddle's number two, though. Chris didn't have a say in this. That would have, would have been interesting, certainly. Mm. And a quote from his club manager, Walter Smith, he's a world-class player and that's why we signed him. The fans love him and he's just the sort of quality player we like at Ibrox. Uh, and he certainly was outstanding when he was with, with Rangers. He really lit up mm. Scottish football when he came here. I mean, for me, his, his, his greatest moment was the when they won the league against Aberdeen. Uh, I think he scored the hat trick that day, didn't he? Yeah. And um, just that was it the second or the third goal where he just took the ball and ran up right through the middle of the the defence, right through the middle of the park, and up go the elbows just to ward off the defenders and he calls it around the keeper and it was just I think I think at that point he's mentioned some and uh, Alan McLaren and say to him do something so he just he says I'm knackered he says do something. So he just picked up the ball and went for a run. And that, that was Gaza. Just a brilliant player. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So over the page, we've got uh, another Scott, John Collins, Scotland and Celtic. Uh, a couple of interesting things from John Collins. Uh, it says Collins is famous for his fitness. He's definitely one of the fittest guys in Scotland. And uh, his teammate Peter Grant says he's so fit he could work in a health studio. It makes you sick. <laughs> And you think that John Collins insisted that they put that in? Well, th- th- this is actually another thing that I've I've made a note of it. And I don't know if it was Dan Petrescu, but there was there was another footballer where they talk about how fit they are, and it's like this was obviously back in a time where it wasn't a norm for us to think that footballers had to be super fit and healthy, and you know, so when they were, it was worth saying. You, I mean, you wouldn't mention it now, would uh. you? No, it was the sort of thing that people would say back then. They'd go, oh, he's got a good engine. <laughs> uh, like, you know, he was the only player in the team that had a good engine. Yeah. And these days, I guess every player's got to have a good engine. They've got to be able to run around for yeah. 90 minutes and, and eat healthily. And they yeah. certainly can't be having a fag at half time, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, as I'm sure a few, a few players knocking around in this magazine still did back then. Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah. but of course, Colin sort of uh, infamously sort of insisted on fitness with his, his Hibs team, insisted that his Hibs players were as fit as he, as he was. Is it, was the story true about him going into the changing room and showing him his abs or something like uh, that? Apparently, yeah. He lifted his shirt and said, you need to get a six-pack like this. Yeah. But also, course, and that, that picture on the right, he's looking an awfully lot, an awful lot like the guy out of orchestral manoeuvres in the dark. Don't you think? <laughs> Andy McCluskey. That picture on the right with the hair, he looks like Andy McCluskey from orchestral yeah. manoeuvres in the dark. <laughs> yeah. it, definitely, it definitely looks as though he spends time on himself. Doesn't he? Yeah, and he's very well dressed. He's not. He's not got a dodgy zip-up cardigan. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very smart suit he's wearing there. Yeah. Uh, so while we're while we're here, we've talked about England players, Scotland players. So we may as well look at the England Scotland game, fifteenth of June, nineteen ninety-six. Uh, Scotland started that match with Spencer and Jury up front. Uh, McCoyce came on for Spencer late in the second half. A goalless first half, but England made uh, some changes at half time. Brought on Jamie Redknapp for. Stuart Pearce and changed the formation 
and uh, certainly to my memory that revitalised England and I seem to recall McManaman started getting more of the ball as well mm. uh, Alan Shearer scored the first goal 53 minutes headed, heading in from a, a, a naval cross and then 78 minutes uh, Tony Adams pulled down Gordon Jury. Gary McAllister stepped up for a penalty kick and uh, David Seaman saved to his right and then about 60 seconds later uh, as you've mentioned earlier, Mark Paul Gascoigne scored probably the goal of the tournament, uh, lifting the ball over Colin Henry's head and firing past Andy Gorham. Yeah, it was it was a it was a magic moment, and then and his celebration as well, wasn't that the yeah, yeah. you know the dentist chair thing, all that business going on with the water bottles and stuff? It was magic. As as, as an England fan, it was magic. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what though? I think even most Scottish fans can appreciate how good that goal was as well. And as yeah. you say, the celebration. You know, it was you know, I'd stick it up you to the to the press as well. Yeah, very yeah, much. Absolutely, it was it was a superb goal. You you can't, you know, you've got to step back sometimes from football and just say, listen, I love that team. I hate that team, but that was a piece of magic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So we go over the over the page. Just again. just while we're, while we're still on the John Collins. Oh, so the, one one of his co- his quotes he says there cannot have been a better chance of Scotland winning a major tournament. Mm-hmm. See, Alan Mc, McLeod's the one that gets all the all the hassle for for saying Scotland <laughs> will win something. John Collins deserves a wee bit. <laughs> yeah, too. Certainly in my lifetime, there's never been any kind of thinking that we could win a, a tournament. Uh, getting to the next round. So. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, that's what all we were looking for then. Now we're just looking to get to a playoff to get to the tournament. <laughs> you know? uh, when, when you put it like that, it's quite depressing. <laughs> so two pages over, we got Rui Costa, Portugal, and Fiorentina, and uh, the headline runs Costa Fortune. Nice. Uh, and as we quote there from Bobby Robson, uh, I noticed he said he doesn't like politics. So I had a wee look to see what he did after playing. Uh, he didn't go into politics, but he did become Benfica's director of football. So I suppose that's a sort of s- slightly political uh, position. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Rui Costa played in all three of uh, Portugal's group games as they won their group. Uh, anything to say about uh, Rui Costa? Well, again, this fitness thing comes up. He talks about how he can sprint quite fast. Oh, really? Oh, that's that's quite useful as a professional footballer. Um, and also, like most of the other players, and I guess maybe they just asked this. You know, this is something they always get asked: What do you eat before a game? What you know? So, like like so many other the other players, uh, I have something light before the before the game. You know, a bit of toast or not. But then when I go on a night out, oh, I'm right. <laughs> I'm a right blowout. I might have a bit of fish. Yeah. I might, I might have a bit of chicken. It's like, it's really strange how footballers' dietary habits are, are so fa- endlessly fascinating. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, right, we go over again um, to Andre Kincelskis. Uh, interesting. Look what Andre Kincelskis is, is is wearing there. Obviously, he's got gloves on, and uh, that looks like a training top. Well, I, I, I would. I think that's probably. The, the nation's tall. I think this is a weather thing. I think this is to do with the, the climate because he's wearing white gloves as well and he's probably all wrapped up. And, you know, some of the places they would play would be minus temperatures. So I, I just think it's the, the gear they was wearing. And we spoke about this quite a bit, Tom, in the previous podcast, how after a certain, you know, sort of early 90s onwards, the football kits just got massive and shapeless. And this is yeah. a classic example of that. Is there's, there's 
that's a waste of material. You could get two shots out of that. And what's going on with the collar? It's a really odd collar yeah. thing going on. I've I've never been a fan of footballers wearing gloves. I know it makes me sound like a real old fart, but I'm just you just never saw I just never saw it when I was mm. growing up watching football. And you know, we didn't see as much European football back then, as you say, in, in uh, venues where it was minus ten degrees. Yeah. But you know, bloody Hillsborough on a freezing Monday night in the middle of December, yeah, wouldn't they wouldn't be wearing gloves. What's the matter with these people? <laughs> Interesting talk, talking about what he's wearing on the other side, he's pictured in uh, Moscow in Red Square by the looks of it but that looks like a Man, the Man United tracksuit he's wearing which was awful at the time as well that yeah that is nasty isn't it yeah. that is properly nasty and, and so sort of uh, conversely he, he doesn't say how fit he is he says I am not a lazy person <laughs> so I don't know if, that, if he's been getting stick for you know not tracking back or anything like that but and yeah, again, he's, he's one person. of these professional footballers who says in his interview I love football <laughs> oh, that's useful, Andre, isn't it? That's quite handy. Um, very, very odd. And and surprise, surprise, you know, the Man United players taught him how to swear was the first thing they taught him. <laughs> but there you go. He doesn't say what he eats, though. He doesn't say what he eats, Andre. That's a disappointment. But but as you as you say, Mark, about um, when he, you know, when he doesn't have a quiet night, when he's a big night out, he says, I like to have a glass of vodka, but only oh, one. Oh, yeah, only he's one. talking alcohol. Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but only one, only one yeah, yeah. He talks about it. little Andre, Andre Junior, who could play for Russia or England. Andy, I don't suppose you know if uh, if he did go in. Little Andre did go in to become a footballer. I I don't know if he did or didn't. I know he's on he's on Twitter because some of the right. times I've posted um, photos of Andre um, Senior, they've been retweeted by him, and you know, okay. so he's definitely about. Uh, all right, turn the turn on the page. Ah, there, there we go. There he is, Teddy Sheringham, with his gun. Yeah, I, 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 again, uh, Mark. Just obviously another set-up, staged photo. Yeah, yeah, vintage Sherry. What a, what a great. That's that's the guy that came up with that <laughs> took the day off, didn't he? Took the rest of the day. So that's it. I'm done. Vintage Sherry. Um, no, it's great. I, 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 I love these these profiles of the players and. Uh, Sheringham must be the hundredth footballer I've seen interviewed saying my favourite television programme is Only Fools and Horses yeah. and again he likes scrambled egg and beans before a game <laughs> I don't care Teddy I really don't care and again he enjoys playing football which is which is quite useful yeah. um, oh talk about filler but uh, and the thing that was always said about Sheringham I mean you know that night that, that night when when England beat Holland and I'm sure you'll, you'll get on to talk about that um him and him and Shearer were fa- were fantastic, and he's al- he's always talked about as this kind of thinking player, like most other players are just thick as mints, and he's one of those ones who could really read a game. You know, I don't know how true that is, but he certainly he certainly teamed up very well with Alan Shearer, didn't he? Yeah. Um, I don't like his hat. That's not really a proper Stetson. That just looks like something they bought in one of those terrible vintage shops you see in the countryside <laughs> where people buy pink corduroy trousers. Mm. You know what I mean? That's just yeah. oh, we'll put that on him and it'll look like a Stetson. But anyway. Hmm. He says that I'd like to have a night out with my mates now and then, but believe it or not, my favourite drink is orange squash. <laughs> and who, who was the mastermind behind that? Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say over the, the dentist chair. <laughs> I think Sheringham was basically the, the ringleader yeah. uh, of all that over there. 
Yeah. Uh, so, well, Mark, uh, now's the time to talk about it. So, what was that? What was that game like, the England Holland game? Oh, it was great. It was great. But then there was a sort of growing sense of disbelief. I remember we were just kind of going, "No, no, we can't. We we can't just have spanked Holland for one." It was amazing, and I, I remember leaving the ground. I remember just the joy. Uh, I believe, and it, and even then, it was sort of well, you know what it's like as a as a football yeah. fan. You, you that that's when you really start to go, "We could win this. We could, we could we could we could really win this." You know, we've just absolutely mullered Holland. Um, and you know, then it then it got worse the game after that because then we thought, "Oh, that's it. Now we're even winning on penalties." Um, but yeah, no, it was a very very good night. There was there was a a quote from I, I watched. As I say, I watched something on Euro '96, and and I really like I really like this from Teddy Teddy Sheringham, because I hate this false, false. Um, Is this when he when he said he was glad at Holland? Yeah, yeah. He, he said um, we were four 0 up, which meant Scotland were through, and then Holland scored. Oh yeah, it was quite funny. He says, and he says it was quite funny, and I like that because that's that's what fo- football should be about rivalries, you know, obviously within within reason, but. For me, it's like, yeah, of course. What? Why would you want a team that you, you know, is your your biggest rival and stuff? Why would you want them to win? Do you want to be able to laugh at the fans and laugh at the team? So I'm I'm all for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I am up to a point. Um, I mean, I think you see the same thing with with you know week in week out local rivalries. Hmm. You know, just at the national level. Um, I mean, I, I'm a Wolves fan, and obviously our big rivals are West Brom. And I know Wolves fans who who would rather if you gave them the choice. Of Wolves winning the winning the league or Albion going down, they'd pick Albion going down, <laughs> and I think that's taking that's taking it too yeah. far. Yeah, you'd rather that than we win the league. Yeah. It seems a bit. Sometimes it seems a bit daft. Yeah, no, well, that that's that's the within reason caveat that, that I gave there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think Sharing was said in that documentary that that was that was the greatest uh, England game he played in. Uh, it was the best performance. I think Shearer said that it was the best performance in any England team he played in. Yeah. yeah, I think what Mark, when you mentioned how you know people say he's a thinking man's football and stuff like that, it's sort of he was he's like the comic book, the Roy the Rovers character, isn't he? Where you know he's 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 thinking like a, in in a comic strip, and he says right, if I run up here and then I move there, that's going to be put me in the position to score this goal that will win us a World Cup, and that's the sort of thing that went through my head when you were talking about that. That it is. The way people talk about Teddy Sheringham is like a Roy the Roy the Rovers, a Roy Race character. You know the way. Yeah, that we see. You know, the team certainly needed needed a player like him. You know, which is in a way, which is why I think it would have been slightly crazy to put Shearer, to put Shearer up front with Les Ferdinand. That would have seemed because mm. they're sort of quite similar players. They're sort of battering rams a yeah. little bit. You know. Um, and and Sheringham's a bit silkier than that, and a bit you know getting in, finding space and all that sort of stuff. I think I think they made a really good decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I presume that was just Venable's decision. I don't know whether whether you know who else had a say in, in picking the team back then. But yeah, no, he is that kind of player. He was that kind of player. All right, we turn oh, we turn over then. So it's Colin Henry over, over the page of Scotland in Blackburn. Uh, a few pictures there, Scotland uh, in the Scotland strip. I firmly focused on the ball. Uh, we picture of him up there playing for Blackburn, and there uh, a great picture of him with the Premiership trophy, and his uh, Mizuno uh, sweat sweatshirt, and his uh, his probably his Rolex watch. You know, like sort of it. Yeah. 
Uh, I was given a set of bagpipes as a gift, and I really love the sound of the pipes, so I've been taking lessons. I can play Scotland the Brave and Flower of Scotland as we drive up Wembley Way. Do we believe that? Uh, Why not? Why not? Bagpipe lessons. If if anybody's going, it's going to be Colin Hendry, isn't it? I suppose. suppose. Yes, I do like haggis, but not before a game. I'm strictly a pasta man. eh? (laughs) (laughs) There's a theme developing. Yeah. Yeah. Like most Scots, I enjoy a game of golf and I practice in the garden. Mm, yeah, big garden as well then, isn't it? <laughs> well, you said that I also had plenty of extra rooms put in for visitors. Yeah, well done. Uh, well, yes, he was, he was, a, he was a, a good player for Scotland, Colin Henry. One of those guys who always gave his all every time. Mm. I mean, the, 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 the one criticism of that style of play, that, and you know, you, you see it with a lot of defenders, they make a lot of last-ditch challenges and it's all like, gets you off your seat and goes, yes, through that. But the argument is that you should never be in that situation where you have to make a last-ditch challenge. But um, mm. but if you're going to, if that's how you're going to play it and you do it more often than not, then, you know, I think you can excuse that. Now we move we move on then. There we go. Haristo Stoitskov of Bulgaria and Parma. <laughs> the headline is Stoitsch that. <laughs> I wonder if it's the same is it the same person that came up with all these headlines yeah. I like to think there's one person who's just really good with, with rubbish puns yeah. who just sits there all day coming up with this stuff <laughs> uh, and there's a quote there from uh, Johan Cruyff who bossed them at Barcelona uh, Stoichkov always represents 50% of the team whether he's playing for Bulgaria for this club or even in a training match he's a great goal scorer and a great leader who motivates everyone a very professional player who gives every game his best shot do you know I, I never really I didn't really quite understand that it's 50% of the team thing M- maybe I've just been a wee bit thick can you explain it to me well he's he's sort of has, he's half half the team but, but, but what manager would but what manager would ever say that that with this this guy represents fifty percent? Well, he's, of the he's team. not managing him at that point. Eh? He's with Parma. Right, fair enough. Now, aye, aye, good I, I, and I'm, I'm sure that memory serves Cruyff had a lot of problems with Stoichkov. I'm sure they didn't get on eh, that well. I don't like to do things by halves. He says I once had a bet with a teammate that Bulgaria would qualify for the 1994 World Cup. The bet was for a brand new Mercedes. I won and the car was delivered to my parents. He mentions there that uh, I didn't play for a year because uh, he was he was banned uh, in Bulgaria in 1985 uh, during the 1985 Bulgarian Cup final uh, between CSKA and Levski. Uh, Stoichkov got in a massive fight and was hit with a lifelong ban uh, and uh, it was later reduced to a year-long suspension. And he says that while he was out, he kept himself fit and became an electrician. I love that. I love that. Do you remember Stoichkov as a player, Mark? He was a very good player. Uh, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know about that lifetime ban. Um, so you know, the magazine isn't all. It isn't all just what they what, what they eat <laughs> and what sport. What, you know, what other sports they like and whether they like only fools and horses. No, I, you know, I'd love I'd love to see footage of that fight um, to see if it really deserved a lifetime I ban. It's on, it's I bit, think it's on YouTube. Okay, that, that still can... seems a bit uh, a bit stiff punishment, really. Yeah, uh, but apparently that was the kind of standard in in those in those days in, in Bulgaria or the sort of um, iron iron curtain. Hmm. Uh, there's, there's no mention of food, is there? Of all that, no, but... no, nothing. 
nothing at all. I'm very disappointed. Mm. And it does say that when the ban was lifted, I love this, the, the ban was lifted and they gave him back his bootlaces. <laughs> and I'd, I'd love to think that's what happens, that, like there's a ceremony, <laughs> you know, where you're, yeah. Do you remember, do you remember a TV show called Branded? There's a show back in the, when I was a kid called Branded where this cavalry officer is, you know, and he's and he has his epaulets ripped off his shoulders when he's thrown out of the cavalry. <laughs> and I, you know, I imagine, you know, Christo, hand over your bootlaces. And he has to he has to give them, which means he can never play football till they give them back to him. It's, it's like the American but, cop shows, isn't it, when he goes into the man the, the captain's office and right, yeah. give me a badge and your gun. Badge and your gun. Give us <laughs> give us your bootlaces, Christo. <laughs> Yeah. But the the thing about um the one you mentioned, Tom, about the bet where they won the Mercedes or the you know, that that was a prize. Yeah. It's it's not really a it's not really a wee anecdote for the the everyday working man that is it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, to be honest, I'd rather know about his food than the fact that having his yeah. mate just play about for Mercedes, new Mercedes cars. <laughs> and it shoot says away from the game, Stoichkov can only be described as our character. He admits to being provocative both on and off the pitch and blames it on being hot-blooded. So uh, uh, what we would term in, in Glasgow, a bam. <laughs> a bam. A bam pop. Yeah. He's a bam. Uh, so how did he do in the tournament? Uh, so he played three games, scored in each game, and got two man in the match awards, uh, but Bulgaria were knocked out of the group stage. So that maybe he was 50% of the team. Hmm. <laughs> he, did, he did score a, if I remember right, he did score a cracker. Where he where he sort of just picked up. Was it against um, who was it against Romania? Was right. it Romania he played and he again sort of went through the middle of the defence, a la Gaza as I was talking about earlier on and finished it off nicely. I think it was the winner as well. Yeah, it's a great player, Risto Stoichkov. All right, so we're heading into the centre of the magazine. Mark Hotiger, Switzerland and Everton. I didn't really write many notes on uh, Mark Hotiger. Mm. Um, anybody get anything? To- yeah, so this is the one that at this point it says, like so many of his countrymen, Hotiger is a fitness fanatic. Mm. Um, I don't know if that meant just Dutch people or the footballers that they're talking about, or Swiss people or the footballers, sorry. Um, but again, it just highlights the fact that, you know, at this point, we're just not assuming that players, you know, footballers should be at the, the peak of their fitness. But he also said, another good thing about coming from Switzerland is the variety of cooking. My favourite is Italian. I love pasta. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I think the absence of adverts in this magazine is explained <laughs> by the fact that the entire issue was sponsored by by some Italian pasta company. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think he's about the sixth player that's gone. Yeah, bit of pasta. Oh, I do love my pasta. Yeah, there'll be some subliminal um, things in there that, that give yeah. you the brand name. I bet, I bet nine out of ten people have to close this magazine. Went, oh, I'd love it. I'd love a nice spaghetti <laughs> carbonara. That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. Okay. Moving on now. Yeah. Uh, we go. Tartan Terrors. So this is just a wee lineup of uh, photographs of some of the Scotland team. Um, aye, all in that uh, all navy blue tartan strip. Uh, apart from Jim Layton. Who's anybody any say with Jim Layton's goalkeeper chairs there? Again, I'm I'm not not a fan at all. I, I just it was not a period of kits that I look back on fondly at all. So that this no. one this one looks it's a white top and it's I don't even know how you'd begin to describe that um, a mess. Um, lots of different colours, but it's maybe a like uh, what do you call them? A Harlequin type thing. I mean, 
it, it, it is unfortunately close to a clown costume, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, he's mm. set he's set himself up there. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 big fan of Jim Layton, and you know, I, I think I, I will defend him from the critics that he gets from people that haven't even seen him. To be perfectly honest, people who just know about, you know, his game against Crystal Palace and Man United and things like that. And that's what they they form their opinion on. But I've I've seen him live, and I've seen some of the great saves I've ever seen from that man there. He's an absolute fantastic goalkeeper. Yeah, well, I mean, he obviously he sort of fought, fought back after getting ousted at Manchester United. And although he was second choice to Andy Gorham here in '96, by 1998 uh, he was the first choice goalkeeper for Scotland at the at the World Cup in '98. So, um, and he played on until he was about like 40, mm. I think. Yeah. Was it was it Dundee or was it was the Hibs after Dundee or before Dundee? Dundee he went to and then Hibs right. and then back to back to Aberdeen. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean he had he had a wee bit of a, a fight to sort of pick himself up after uh, Manchester Manchester United after um, Ferguson dumped him for that FA Cup replay in nineteen ninety. Mm. Uh, so yeah, so there's some pictures there, some Scotland National, Tom Boy, John Collins, Alan McClam, Ian Jess, Scott Gemmell, Stuart McCall, Gordon Judy. Ali McCoy, Billy McKinley, and Jim Leighton. Right, Andy, where, where to next? Okay, so Mark, you, you'll be aware of the focus on features that were in the shoot magazines, where the, the footballer of the one of the famous footballers of the day was asked some standard questions. So we're going to turn it on y- yourself here. So I'm just going okay. to throw a bunch of questions at you. So starting off, full name: Mark Philip David Billingham. Okay, what's your birthplace? Uh, Solihull in the West Midlands, just outside Birmingham. What was your first car? Uh, VW Beetle. What colour was it? Red. Okay. Favourite player of all time? Uh, oh, God, it's a toss-up. Steve Bull. Steve Bull. Okay. Favourite team, as you mentioned? Wolves. Okay. What's the most memorable match? Um, I, I, It would be the first match I saw, and I can't even remember who we were playing. Um, but I think I was trying to think about this for, before I did the show. I must have been 10 hmm. because it, Peter Knowles was playing for Wolves and Peter Knowles uh, finally quit for good in 1970. You know Peter Knowles, God's footballer? Oh, yeah, you know, the Billy, Billy Bragg song. Yeah, fabulous, fabulous player who, who just chucked it all in to become a Jehovah's Witness and and astonishingly stayed on Wolves' books. They kept him on the books for 12 years after that, <laughs> thinking he'll come back, he'll come back, and he never did. And he was an incredibly good player who, you know, had already got an under-21 cap for England but never got the full cap because he, he chucked it all in to become a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, what's the biggest thrill of your life? Oh, for me, uh, getting my first book published without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I mean, if we ignore the kind of obvious family things like when your kids are born and stuff. Mm. Yeah, get, getting my first book published in 2001. Okay. What's your biggest disappointment? Um, it's all oh, blimey that I'm never going to I'm never gonna co-write a song with Elvis Costello. Okay. There you go. Okay. What's the best country you've visited? Um... I'm I'm a big fan of America actually. I do I do love going to America almost anywhere. You could you could drop me out of a plane with a parachute, I'd land anywhere in America, go into the nearest supermarket and have great fun for an hour. Just <laughs> just marvelling at the stuff on the shelves. Oh my god, you can have jam and you know uh what's what, what's what's the, the, the thing they put in jam and peanut, peanut butter, butter in the same jar. That's why these that's why this country <laughs> runs the world. Yeah. Do you know speaking of that, I've only recently sort of probably since the lockdown, um that's when I first had peanut butter and jam on the same it was toast or something and I, it's, it's incredible 
Have you, have you, yeah. Have you ever tried it? Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's incredible. It's good. You know, I, I, I get why people do it. Okay, this is a, this is a question we've all been waiting for. Favorite food? <laughs> uh, oh, um, a very good curry. I think every yeah. time. But when you say very good, do you like it hot? Yeah, pretty hot, and and it would have to be from the Cababiche restaurant in Mosley Village in Birmingham. Brilliant, I love that sort of information. Miscellaneous likes, so give me two things that you like doing. That I like to do? Yep. Um, uh, play the guitar badly and uh, play poker. Okay. And on the flip side, miscellaneous dislikes, so two things that drive you up the wall. Oh, uh, spending too much time in the countryside. Not a big fan of that. I'm a city boy. Uh, so the countryside always, you know, I just hear the theme tune for the Archers and it makes me jippy. In fact, we'll make that as my second big hate, which is the Archers. <laughs> okay. Favourite TV show? Um, Right now, it's a really terrible reality show called Below Deck, which is about, about super yachts and the, and the idiots that, that uh, charter them and the, and the crew Below Deck. I'm, I'm obsessed with that. If I was being all, you know, trying to be super intelligent and artistic, I'd go, oh, The Wire or The Sopranos mm. or something. But I'm, I'm addicted to Below Deck. Below Deck, fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll be looking that one out. Oh, yeah, you you won't be disappointed. <laughs> Favourite singers? Uh, Elvis Costello, Hank Williams, George Jones, lots of country singers. Okay. Favourite actors? Um. Oh, blimey. Uh, Al Pacino and... Sid James. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's 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 set in stone. That one. Who's your best friend? Um, my best friend is a guy called Mike Gunn, who's a stand-up comic, who I've known for about uh, oh blimey, twenty-five years. Um, we just met back when I was doing stand-up comedy, and uh, yeah, been my best mate ever since. Stuff. Who's who oh, been... hates football? He hates football. He in fact hates sport generally. Knows nothing about. Anything you can go. Oh, this game's on tonight between so and so and so and so. And we'll go. Who? What? Why'd you care? Very strange. But he's still me. Mm, okay. Who's been the biggest influence on you? Um, blimey. Uh, in terms of in terms of writing, all sorts of people, all sorts of people. Uh, biggest influence would probably be a, you know the English teacher I had at school. You know, who just said, yeah, carry on writing stories and and don't stop showing off. <laughs> okay. Uh, final question: Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Oh, blimey! Um, right now, uh, I would like to meet. Um, oh, I'll pick a. I'll pick a country singer, a legendary. Oh, they're all dead. Um, <laughs> we we, we do dead, we do accept people. we do accept. Um, well, people who are dead. Oh, I'd yeah. love to have met Johnny Cash. Right. I'd love, I'd love to have gone for a beer with Johnny Cash. Although probably he wasn't, you know, went back when he was drinking beer. Mm. That, that would, that would have been a fun night. <laughs> probably not for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's the end of the questions. Back to you, Tom. Yeah. Well, I can just uh, stick with you, with you a wee bit, Mark, before we go back into the, in the book. So we said there that you were, you were doing uh, stand up. Did you sort of make a conscious decision to sort of get out of stand up and get into writing, or was it something? No, the two th the two things overlapped for quite a while. They overlapped for six or seven years. Right. Um, but then once the book started to do well, I was having to travel a lot uh, mm. to promote the books here and overseas. And uh, the life of stand up is an awful lot of traveling. 
you know, one night in Newcastle, the next night in Liverpool, wherever it might be. And I just couldn't do both. I had a young family by then and, you know, one, one had to stop. And I'd already been doing stand-up 20 years by then. So yeah. I knocked it on the head and uh, it was it was comedy's game, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and do you miss sort of doing stand-up? I miss, yeah, I miss the, I miss the 20 minutes or the 40 minutes yeah. on stage. You know, I miss that buzz. I don't miss all the rest of the stuff that goes with it. I don't miss all those travelling and crappy hotels and being in terrible dressing rooms at three o'clock in the morning. And comics are a strange old bunch. You know, they're a strange bunch to hang out with. Um, uh, they, you know, they, you've got there's something dodgy about somebody who, who spends their life on stage going, "Love me, love me." You know, it's it's an odd it's an odd thing. And I was one of their number for a while. I still and I still you know hang out. I still play poker every week with a bunch of comics who are struggling right now, of course, because their yeah, industry has just been decimated, as have a lot of industries by by the the pandemic and everything. But yeah. hopefully, it'll get back on its feet. And and going back to your uh, your latest novel, uh, Can I Baby, uh, Mark? So. When I read it, I uh, listened to the audio book, which is a full cast uh, recording, which I thought was terrific. And of course, it brings back uh, David Morrissey, uh, who was thrown on television. Yeah. How thrilled are you to get David Morrissey to play that part? Oh, it, do you know what? What do you mean in t- on TV? On, on TV and yeah. TV. Well, I mean, um, it was it was a plan. It was a perfectly executed plan because <laughs> once from from the very first moment your first book is published, people go, "Who would you like to play your detective on television?" If it was ever on television, and I'd seen David in loads of things, being just brilliant. And all you want is a good actor. That's the first <laughs> thing you want, right? And so I just thought, if I keep saying his name in interviews, <laughs> eventually he'll find out about it. And cut to you know, some years later, he's filming somewhere. He has a day off. He buys a bunch books in a bookshop one of them's mine he reads it he likes it he googles me and up comes his name and he goes bloody hell I'm playing this bloke and he comes back from filming and he calls me up and I go around to his house and we get on like a house on fire and boom it's happening and it was like <laughs> into my trap Mr Bond um, and he was brilliant and so getting him to come back to do the um, the audiobook was fantastic it was really great fun yeah, uh, for me, the, the few better television actors than David Morrissey. Whatever he's in on TV, you know it's going to be. You know it's going to be good. Yeah, he's fantastic, and and you know what? He's smart as a whip. He's a very smart actor, and the truth is that not all actors are particularly. It's just like how many lines have I got? You know, um, Dave really kind of takes takes his work really seriously, but not himself too seriously, which yeah. is which is the best best possible mix. And so you're narrating your books now, I think, was it Philip Glenister that was doing the books originally? It was Robert, Robert Glenister. Robert Glenister, sorry. Philip's brother. Um, yeah, Rob, Rob did them for a while. And in fact, it's an accident that I do them now because uh, Rob was doing them. Then the TV adaptation happened. So the publisher said, well, let's get Dave Morrissey to do it because he's thrown on television. He said he would do it. And then like a week before recording, he gets a movie or something. So we can't do it. So in a panic, we go back to Rob Glenister. And by that, he couldn't do it. And so they, I got a call from the publisher going, I don't suppose you fancy... <laughs> And that was it. I've been doing them ever since. And uh, but in this one, yeah, Cry Baby, I'm just doing the narrating, and then there's lots of actors doing all the dialogue. Yeah. I, I don't know if you. Have, so talking about David Morrissey, there it reminds me of uh, it was like a mini series, maybe two episodes or something when I, when I was a young kid. It was called One Summer. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was the fir- that's the first thing. That was David's first first decent part. I think mm. it may even have been the first thing he did on television. Yeah, he talks about that very fondly. Yeah, yeah absolutely loved it. It was like Icky was one of the characters, wasn't it? The, the, the was it his brother or something? But um, yeah, I just remember that so so vividly from my way back there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, he's he's a terrific actor. Yeah, I think the first thing I really remember him in was ho- holding on, 
she was in sort of ten part series about London about ninety seven or something. Yeah, and I and I saw him in the things that really stuck in my mind. I saw him in State of Play, and yeah. and in a brilliant series called Blackpool. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he was so he was so great in those things, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. He's a bit sort of smarmy in, in Blackpool, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He plays the kind of uh, sort of ganglandy, uh, but he but he had songs in it as well. It was a, it was yeah, a really yeah. weird, really weird show. Great show. Yeah. And of course, it's, The Walking Dead, which is hmm. you know where he went off and became you know a huge star in America and goes to all these conventions and stuff, fantasy yeah. conventions and all that for playing the governor in The Walking Dead. No, it was, it was a thrill to have him playing Thorn. He did it brilliantly. And, you know, we still talk about him coming back to do it again. I mean, it's something we talk about whenever we get together. So who knows? Okay. So we, we go back into the back into the magazine then. So right. Just before we go in, Tom, we're going to talk about our charity partner. So what, what we do is we, we team up with a, a charity partner with the podcast. And this season, it's the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. So I'm just going to read a little bit out about what they do. So this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community, including the following, the school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers but we'll also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do and also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are actually aware of these services. You can follow them on the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share group on Facebook or westernbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So just on, on this, what, what we do also with the, the podcast is we have a, a, an associated web page as well that goes with it. So on the web page, it will be all the 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 photos and the, the pages from the magazine will be on it. There will be links to any other things that we talk about, videos and things like that. We'll also include a donate button that people can donate to. For each pound that they do donate, it gets them the equivalent of a virtual raffle ticket. And when at the end of the season when we draw those raffles the winner will get a goodie bag which will include the original magazine that we're talking about and some other items from my collection things like that so yeah the money from that donation will go to the, the charity partner as well so that's the western bartonshire community food share and back to you tom all right so back into the magazine then so it's a double page spread of england going for glory uh, so that England's number of England players here are all pictured. It's all taken from the same game, which I think was the one 0 win over Bulgaria at Wembley, twenty seventh of March, nineteen ninety six. Where Les Ferdinand scored the winner after six minutes. Uh, Mark, what do you make of that away strip? It's again not a favourite strip. It's not. A, it's not a great strip. There's just something really odd going on with the collars. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, the thing that really struck me about looking at this picture, and it's always the same when you you go back to squads for tournaments, is the players you'd forgotten. You know, I guess they're players who didn't didn't get you know full games or whatever. But you know, Robert Lee and and uh, Steve Howie. Yeah. You know, if 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 you'd sat me down and gone name you know fifteen players out of that squad, I would not have been able to come up with those names. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, great players, I'm sure, but you know. 
Yeah, how he got four caps. He was he was an unused substitute uh, right. in all England's games, but he never got selected again after that. After okay. that. Uh, so the strip, of course, I'm talking about is England's grey strip, or it's officially indigo blue, uh, and it was uh, apparently selected because the shirt looked good with jeans. Oh, jeez. <laughs> is that, that right? Was <laughs> Dear me. Uh, and I think David Seaman's goalkeeper strip there is probably worse than the one yep. Jim Leighton. Yep. Was yeah, the socks. Look at the socks. What is going on? Well, they, they look like, what, what are those sherbet sweeties? The, that's what it looks like. It's, it's alternate stripes of yellow, red, and green. It mm. just looks hideous. Love, it love me hearts. About a, a spicer bar. Sorry, it's love hearts. I think I'm thinking of. That's what it looks like. A, a packet of love hearts. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a, a crazy, um, a crazy comb- combination. Who came up with it? But yeah, going for glory. So Thirty years ago, England lifted the World Cup. Now at Euro '96, Terry Venables' boys will be expected to win another major prize. Can they do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I so we'll uh, we'll we'll get on to that um, uh, shortly. Well, do, do you know what else I'm going to point out that just uh, you know we're talking about how rubbish the kit is and things like that. But what I do like to see is that not one pair of socks is pulled up above the knees. That's one yeah. of my bugbears. I I just hate that. You know when they wear them like stockings. It's just. Something about modern footballers when they, when they pull it up over their knees and it's just like stop it, will you? Yeah, that's mad. That is mad. All right, so moving moving on then. So on the next page, uh, I haven't really put anything down for Quizimodo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the quiz page that could give you the ump um, and the summertime oh. clues, which is the crossword. Yeah, I, I never looked through it too much either. No. Yep. Shall right, we let's... move on. <laughs> Skip over that then. So, uh, I don't even want to pronounce uh, his surname. Thomas Scaravi. Scaravi. Yep. Uh, Czech Republic and Sporting Lisbon. Do you know, it's it's actually a name that I remember more than... When I see him, I don't really recognise the face, but certainly the name. The name. But guess what? As well as going to restaurants, (laughs) he likes to cook spaghetti and other pasta. (laughs) Another one for the Italian food board there. Yeah. Uh, I like all kinds of music, but especially like rock, but not too heavy. I also enjoy some classical music and opera. Mm, okay. His interests outside football uh, and hope to have some business. Again, he's another person who says he might even go into politics. Well, he, he's the one that owns a castle. He bought, yeah. he bought a castle back, back in his homeland. He says, when he heard that a family of royal Italian ancestry had to sell their castle... He put in a reasonable bid. <laughs> what, what, what are you getting from that information that he put in a reasonable bid? I, I mean, that's giving you nothing. I don't care. We're back. We're back in. We're back in. You know, I bet my mate a Mercedes territory. Aren't we? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and he says that after a revolution a few years ago, a new mood swept through my country. There's a new sense of freedom now. We want success in the football field to let everyone know how things are now. Uh, my hat check in the 99 World Cup proved to be a turning point in my career. I hope to get another in the European Championship. Uh, and of course, the Czechs were the beaten finalists mm. that year. Uh, and a, a final, I think, which is a complete, even up here in Scotland, it was a complete anti climax. Uh, it's, it's really the semi final that always stands out for me in that tournament, not so much the final. So, right, we move, we move over a page then. Uh, Dan Petrescu. 
uh, Romania and Chelsea. Um, memories of Dan Petrescu playing, Mark? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember him, but uh, I haven't got too I haven't got too much to say about him. He loves <laughs> Italian food. <laughs> yeah. I, whenever I see him, I just think my first thought is Fox Mulder from the X Files. Yes. God, yes, especially in that picture in this man. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> he really looks like, what's the actor? David Duchovny. David, yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. So there's a wee quote there from uh, Chelsea's Dennis Wise. Dan has settled in well with us and he plays our kind of game. He can play anywhere you ask him, defence, midfield, even up front. He's a quality player who has a lot of experience and he's one of the lads. That's important. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, I don't know. There's not too much more interesting he likes to keep fit and works hard at keeping himself in good shape even just during the close season when many other players just want to lounge in the sun all day yeah like you said mark another wee theme uh, yeah and, and it fitness is important not only does it help with your performance <laughs> you thought it would be pretty crucial yeah. to your performance yeah. it's a different it really does make you you know realize what a different world football was even back in the and it's not that long ago is it yeah, ninety six really, but it it just feels like a different game reading these interviews. Well, it all seemed to feel like the the British nations were lagging behind when it came to fitness and diet and stuff like that. And you always, it was always all oh, the the foreigners, the continental players, they they're ahead of us. But whether this is loaded from the the journalists asking the questions or this has been offered by them, it sort of suggests that hey, they weren't that. Far, you know, ahead of us as we maybe thought. Yeah, maybe not. But that that um, the Romania away kit, or home kit there, the yellow one, I really liked that. I thought that was a smart, smart. That's probably one of the smartest kits I've seen yet in the magazine. Yeah, and the wee instep actually there. He's, he's um, playing for Chelsea against Coventry. It's actually not a bad wee Coventry kit there. It's kind of blue. Just, uh, just something that's coming to my mind there. So we're talking about kits, uh, Mark. We may as well ask you because you're a Wolves supporter. But we were talking on another episode about that Wolves kit that had two crests on it, that had the, the three Wolves and the WW. Yeah, do, do, do you remember? Was there any particular reason why there was? I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. For me, for me, it's that. It's that. If if I'm if I want to, when I used to play football very badly with a bunch of. Um, uh, writers and comics, I would wear an old wolf shirt, classic old gold wolf shirt from, yeah. from the 70s, which is when I started watching them. Um, and I think you just always have a soft spot for that. And and every new kit that comes out, I've kind of hated, yeah. uh, sort, of, sort of ever since. It should be old gold. And I'm talking yeah. old gold shirts and gold shorts, yeah, which, is, which is what they were wearing when I started, you know, that, what right. Derek Dugan and Johnny Richards used to run yeah. about in, in, the, uh, in the early 70s. Um, no, I don't know. I don't know what the story is with those two crests. Yeah, because um, it's not sponsorship, is it? It's no, not... I know. Hmm. I just was the three wolves in the middle, and the and WW at the left. So I had a wolf shirt when I was younger as well. I think I got it from Drum Chapel Market, and it was the old gold. It was the wolves, uh, the wolf heads crest. Yeah, the, the umbro uh, diamonds down down the, the sleeves, but, but which was different because every other umbro kit had the kind of tram lines down it. But the, the wheels strip just to the diamonds. Ah. Oh, with then okay. the two lines mm. on the outside of it. But yeah, obviously the wheels kits were quite smart. They moved into this sort of uh, pinstripe style, uh, the black pinstripe. 
Yeah, I've, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still not a fan. I'm still not a fan. I still, I, I don't quite see why. Well, obviously, it's it's financial, isn't it? There's such yeah. a lot of such a lot of uh, money in kits. I mean, there was this article in the paper the other day about how uh, if you know if Mesty had had come to Manchester City or wherever for a phenomenal amount of money, they'd make all the money back just selling kits. I find that incredibly hard yeah. to believe yeah. how many kits you've got to sell to pay that sort of money back. But, you know, obviously that's why they change them every five minutes. Well, the, yeah. the, the prices they're charging for kits now, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a Liverpool supporter uh, posted not that long ago and it was £125 for a full kit for a five-year-old. Ridiculous. For a five-year-old. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, 60 quid for a pair of shorts. I mean, what are you talking about? Mm. Especially when they look like that. Yeah, that's how you make your money back, I guess, just ripping yeah. off the fans. Uh, all right, okay, move, moving over the page then. Uh, Ole Enrique, uh, Louis Enrique of Spain and Real Madrid. So great picture of him there, uh, celebrating a goal with his shirt uh, wrapped over his head, showing off an impressive torso. Not as impressive as John Collins, though, is it? No, no. it's not quite that stylish. <laughs> Uh, so he's very much into music, all kinds. Uh, vast collection of CDs and tapes. I buy several every week, he says. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's quite modest when, he, when his mates are betting with Mercedes and buying like, castles. Yeah, just thinking that, yeah. So uh, I like to play golf. I like to play golf myself and would appreciate a few lessons from Seve Ballesteros. Uh, likes to get to the beach as often as possible. Sun swimming and sailing, that's for me. Yeah, do you know what? I like Louis Enrique from from this. Reading all the things he's talking about here, that that's somebody I could like. There's there's been parts of the other ones you're just like, oh, that's just annoying. But you know, I, I like what he's saying. And yeah, I, I agree with you. A lot of a lot of the previous ones, they've said they've been asked what they would do if they weren't footballers mm. and they go oh well I would have been a golfer or I'd like to have been a Formula 1 racing driver <laughs> Enrique, Enrique says maybe I'd have perhaps a builder <laughs> yeah. I kind of like that yeah. so uh, Luis Enrique uh, how did he do in the tournament he played two games in the group and was subbed off uh, after 55 minutes in the second match against France and uh, presumably through injury because he missed out in the quarter final uh, match with, with England uh, so yes, yeah, so England played Spain in the quarter the quarter final, uh, where England finally won a match on penalty kicks, uh, and I think got off the hook a wee bit uh, during that game because I'm sure Spain scored a perfectly good goal that was ruled offside mm. at the time. But I remember that game being a bit of a bore fest. I think it finished nil nil. Mm. Uh, right, so okay, so moving on, we've got Andy Gorham over the page. Uh, and he's pictured there, and I think the same goalie strip that yes. Jim Leighton was in, it's hideous. Yeah. Uh, and his cricket whites, mm. uh, and a wee snippet there of him, and uh, an equally horrible Rangers goalkeeper's jersey as well. Yeah, although he's filling it out a bit more than Jim Leighton is, I have to say. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's again, it's just awful. It's awful. It's an awful kit, and he just does look horribly like Prince Andrew. <laughs> What he does actually, no, it's that's unfortunate, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, he, he says there, uh, I once fell out with Martin Buchan when he nailed my shoes to the floor as a joke. I didn't think it was really funny at the time. So he I should have tried hanging out with Gaza. <laughs> that's a very subtle and clever joke compared yeah. with some of Gaza's. <laughs> would that have been at Oldham? At Oldham, I yeah. think, yeah. yeah. Uh, they would both play at Oldham together, yeah. 
But it's, so you know, I, sorry, sorry, just when when footballers talk about the the escapades they get up to and their shenanigans, it's like it, it doesn't sound as funny as maybe they think, you know. And it's, no, no. And, and quite often, if you hear somebody's uh, the joker of the pack, you just think, oh, he would really annoy me. He would really annoy me. I think that's true in any walk of life, yeah. isn't it? When yeah. you see people go, I really enjoy practical jokes. You just <laughs> don't come anywhere near me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Andy talks to his Scotland debut, a nil-nil draw with East Germany at Hamden in October 1986, when he came on as a half-time sub for Jim Leighton, and the Scotland fans sang, you're not English anymore. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, 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 Andy Gorham, who was a good, a good goalkeeper for, for the Scotland and, and Rangers. I mean, for me, for me, he's, he's, he's probably one of the, the greatest goalkeepers I've seen, um, without a doubt. I mean, he's the, the save he made against Van Hooydonk um, against Celtic was one of the greatest saves, even better than, for me, I think, even better than the bank save. And I don't know if you've seen that one, Mark, but... Um, no, I know the bank save you're talking about, so if it's better than that, yeah. it must be awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll send on a, a, a link to it, but it's just... It's one of those ones. I mean, the bank save was was absolutely phenomenal, but it's just one of those ones that you you think, why why is the why is the ball not in the net? You know, you think that that should be a goal. That should be a goal. Why isn't? And yeah, it was absolutely amazing. But what we'll say of it. So it says stand by for a special celebration in two thousand and four. That's the year that Andy Gorham plans to retire. Now he actually retired and. When was he retired? Two th- he, that's the season he did retire uh, after playing five games with Elgin. So he was spot on with that one. Uh, well, I, I, I'd be interested to see that Andy Gorham save. Um, I don't know whether it's as as a fine quality as my save <laughs> as the as the goalkeeper. So I'm captain of the England Crime Writers football team, yeah. and and we play against Scotland Crime Writers once every year at the Bloody Scotland Festival. Mm-hmm. in Sterling and uh, last year oh my the finest moment I've ever had was saving from a uh, point blank from Christopher Brookmeyer who, who, who if you haven't had Chris on your show you absolutely should we did we had him you on did. a few weeks ago yeah oh, oh I, wish, I wish you could get him on again just to ask him about that <laughs> save um, but yeah that was that was a golden moment so if the Gorham if the Gorham thing is even half as good as that <laughs> I, I'll be interested in seeing but with Chris, we spoke about where he there's this magical photograph where it looks as though he's striking a ball perfectly, but it actually went in the opposite direction or something. Tom, was that right? He was taking a shot. And it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a picture of him with both both feet. He's a down. useful player, Chris. I mean, and he's he is hugely fit. He's mm. one of those. Like, really, he's like a little whippet. He uh, he's got a good engine. Yeah. What was his favourite food? <laughs> pasta, obviously pasta. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, have you? Well, because I asked Chris this as well. Have you missed the Edinburgh Book Festival? And- oh God, yeah, really. I mean, it's. Uh, I've been every year for, oh, God knows, twenty odd years, and and certainly every year to the book festival since I was published. And this year, especially, I, it, me and Chris Bookmeyer are both members of this sort of silly rock band called the Fun Loving Crime Writers. And this year in Edinburgh, we had a very very special day lined up where it was going to be the last day of the festival, and we've been asked to curate sort of to program a day of uh, books and music so musicians talking about their favorite books writers talking about music live performances it was going to be a cracking day no missed it enormously that that's when it really sunk in yeah. was the day that festival was cancelled mm. um for the first time god i don't know since the war or something it hasn't been cancelled forever so yeah that was when 
I knew things were serious. Yeah, I really missed it. Yeah. Did you, did you play Glastonbury, was it? Yeah, played? we played Glastonbury uh, last summer. What what, uh, what um, was going through your head as you came on to the <laughs> stage? It was it was a classic bucket list moment. <laughs> I felt I should have said that during the during yeah. the interview I did earlier, probably. Um, I was the one that got the email, the, mm. the you know the phone call that said, "Do you guys want to play Glastonbury?" So I got I got to send everybody else in the band the email that said, "This is not a joke." <laughs> and you know, cut to a few months later when we we're about to go on stage, we couldn't believe it. We absolutely couldn't believe it. It was glorious. Yeah. The best bit was that you you have this backstage area where. Um, all the bands who were playing in that venue were on the acoustic stage, have their own fridge with their name on it. And it's full of, you know, your rider. So it's just full of beer and vodka and all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's like Hawkwind's fridge and Keen's fridge. And then there's a fridge with our name on it, you know, and we're hanging out backstage with Marty Pello and whoever else is knocking about. And it was, oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Um, so, yeah. And of course, yeah, Glastonbury, something else that's gone. We haven't been able to do any shows, any, I mean, mm. music's been absolutely decimated, same as same as every other sort of live performance. But, yeah. you know, yeah. we carry on writing books. Yeah, all right, Andy, to turn over the page again. Oh, okay. here's Rodders. <laughs> Captain Marvel. Uh, it's Tony Adams of England and Arsenal, who was also the captain of England uh, at the time as well. Football has given me everything. If I had not a, had a career in the game, I would probably have been a lorry driver. There's nothing oh, wrong okay. with me. You could have worked with Luis Enrique. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing wrong with being a lorry driver, but you don't get to lorry drive for England very often. Uh, Mind you, I hope we have the drive to win the European Championship. Nice one. Do you know that, that, that when you're saying about Luis Enrique, I'm just thinking, what a TV show that would be. They go around, <laughs> you know, delivering um, garden sheds and Louis is the one that puts the shed up and yeah that'd be a great and Tony Adams delivers the wood yeah. on the back of a lorry it yeah. would be yeah celeb celebrity building <laughs> celebrity builders we'll have that there we go copyright okay so uh, Tony likes most types of music uh, although particularly likes jazz and soul nothing about his eating habits nothing nothing about his eating it's very disappointing mm. uh, but he is nicknamed Rodders and I don't I can't quite see why just because he loves only fools and horses like every other footballer. He doesn't look like <laughs> Rodgers much, but mm. there you go. But his favourite singer is Ian Wright, he says, without a doubt, Ian Wright. So uh, there's got to be a backstory to that. See, uh, he's got to give the backstory to that, surely, rather than just leaving it hang there. Yeah, he's a tease. He's been a bit of a tease, is Tony. <laughs> so uh, where, did, where did you watch that uh, semi-final, Mark, in 1996? Where? Uh, yeah, uh, I was I was just at home watching it in in London, right. um, and you know, like everybody else, I guess you're going to talk about it now. But like everybody else in the country, we went Southgate. There's <laughs> that moment when, <laughs> when he steps up and you just go and goodbye. Um, and it, it it was such a shame. It was such a shame. You got you you know you had to feel for him. I still feel for him. There probably isn't a day goes by when he doesn't. Well, that's, it, you know. that's exactly what he said in that uh, that documentary. Yeah. We literally yeah. said, oh, Vegas by without somebody saying something to me about that. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Uh, um, maybe that was a couple of years ago. Maybe changed since he took the England to the semi-finals of the World Cup. But um, I'm sure. But it, it was it, even even before the penalty. It was so the the penalties. It was such a kind of heartbreak. I mean, you know, when you go into the the golden goal period yeah. and Gaza getting so close, yeah, so mm. close, and Anderton hitting the post. Um, and then, you know, down to penalties and obviously, you know, 
it's Germany and oh, but there, there you go. Yeah. It was, it, it was still, it was still an, you know, still felt an enormous amount of pride to have got that far, really. Um, even, even if I'd started going down the road like everybody else of, you know, we could win this, we could win this. And obviously the thing we haven't talked about because it's not, doesn't really feature anywhere in this magazine is that is the bloody song. Um, yeah, which true. which looms large in the book because every yeah. time Thorne turns the radio on, they're singing it, and he can't stand it because one of them is a Chelsea fan. Um, but uh, you know, it was just everywhere, wasn't it? It was just everywhere that song, yeah. and we were yeah. singing it in the crowd. And... I don't like admitting it, but that is, that is a good that is a good song. Oh, it is a good song. It is a good song, mm. but you know, uh, it, it, it was probably overexposed. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, again, I agree. It's a great song, but didn't. The Germans then start singing it afterwards as well when they when they'd won they started oh, did singing they? It m- yeah well, they they claimed they were playing it on on their bus in the way to the in the way to the final I remember, I remember the German fans singing it in in the final so but I, when I was reading through all this and I was thinking about the song I was trying to think like in most major tournaments you have a theme tune you know whether it's Ness and Dorma or something like that. Yeah, and I can't really remember what the theme tune for Euro '96 was, other than this, which wasn't obviously the official theme tune. So I think it sort of took over as that. Yeah, and no, it was it was definitely part and part. It was part and parcel of the whole thing. Yeah, you see, it's, it's up there for me for with, with some of the the greatest football songs. And let's face it, football songs being a good football song is a lot different from being a good song. And um, the other one for me is um, this time. Uh, the Ron the Ron Greenwood World Cup song, which yeah. I, I, I absolutely love it, and uh, you know I, I've heard a lot of English people saying that's oh, a horrible song, it's a terrible song, but I think it's brilliant. I remember actually being one of the World Cups a while back, and I I, I lived down in England. I've lived down in Yorkshire for for twenty one years, and um, I remember being in a pub, and it was probably the only Scot in there, and you know the pub was packed with, with English fans and this time came on before the game and I was the only one that knew all the words to it <laughs> and it was like this is this isn't right this isn't right so I mean yeah. everybody talks everybody talks about world in motion which yeah, was which was really good but the, but I was a big fan of back home which was what <laughs> 1970 <laughs> 70 <laughs> that was that was such a big deal what was I nine ten um I loved that yeah. I loved that I remember seeing them all doing it on top of the pops in their suits and everything <laughs> Bobby Moore and oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, moving on from uh, Tony Adams, we've got over the page. We've got um, Paolo Maldini. Uh, he likes pasta. He likes pasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, how good is he, does he look there? He's got a, a diesel denim shirt on. <laughs> He's got a t-shirt on underneath it. He's wearing one of those denim shirts that around it, it needs a female hand to come over his shoulder <laughs> and start and start unbuttoning the buttons and he has to stop and go, you know, brute for men who don't have to try too hard. That's what he looks like he's wearing. I mean, judging what he's got round his wrist, maybe that is a female hand there, and that looks a bit doesn't look That's very masculine. It's an odd bracelet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there's a quote there from uh, Cesar Maldini, it's Paolo's dad and uh, the former Italy boss. And he says, he's a better player than I was. I coached him a little when he was a boy, but I did not open any doors for him. I made him go for a trial with Milan at the age of 10, and it was up to him to prove himself. If anything, he's had a more difficult task because of his father, but he has done very well. Uh, And Paolo says, sometimes I fear getting old and having to stop playing, but then I look at Franco Baresi and my fear goes away because I know I have many years of playing still left. 
Uh, on June 28th, I should be 28, two days later is the European Championship final at Wembley. It would be a good place for a party. So uh, Paolo wasn't wrong with regards to his longevity. He re- retired from playing at the end of the 2008-2009 season. Just a month shy of his 45. Yeah. 902 appearances in all competitions as well. 125 international appearances. That is one, one, he's one of the one club men as well. Entire career. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't know that he got a lifetime ban because it says I like to wear shoes without laces. So he's had his <laughs> laces taken off him. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's I haven't nice. liked laces ever since, he said. <laughs> well, there you go. There yeah. you go. When I made my debut for Milan against Udinese, I was so nervous that I did not tie my laces properly and nearly injured myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and with regards to the pasta, Mark, uh, Paolo takes it up a notch uh, by saying that he's uh, done TV commercials for pasta. <laughs> I'm telling you, this whole this whole magazine is it's just a pasta fest. I like music and listen to pop, but nothing too heavy. So presumably this has just been a list of questions because I don't imagine that everybody went, oh, by the way, I'll tell you about my music interest before you go. I, I think that, I think the same the same person just interviewed had a, had a stock list of questions: food, music, where'd you live, uh, you know. Mm. Have you any, any nicknames or amusing <laughs> anecdotes? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Maldini. Yeah, I was, it was class uh, for, for me, uh, Paolo Maldini. Mm. Right. Okay. I'm just looking, uh, moving on to the next, the next page. There, a great picture. We've got Slavin Bilic, Croatia and West Ham. As a great picture uh, of Slavin and Harry Redknapp there. Uh, obviously on the on the training field after a training session at West Ham. Uh, Slavin still with the mud across his face. So, so, so Harry there said, and maybe this is just the way Harry speaks. He says he's a good young player. He was twenty-seven there. <laughs> I don't think that really is a can be classed as a young player, really. Uh, and then uh, again with Slavin here, again another theme that you've identified, Mark. Uh, I used to watch English television shows when I was at home. <laughs> One of them was Only Fools and Horses. What is it? What is it with that show that just seems to ring bells with footballers? I just don't get it. I just don't get it. They love they love that show. He says, when I watched it, I did not think that one day I too would become a Londoner. That's oh, there you go. There you go. He's not, it, it, it took him a while to appreciate English humour. Mm. But they've, they've, I think they've mentioned this a couple of times that he learned, to, learned English by watching MTV. So... I hate to think of what he sounded like to to begin with, you know, that sort of, hey, welcome, hey, how you doing? <laughs> it's just, yeah. Did he, does he talk about his food? I don't think he talks about his food, does he? Yeah. But see, that's, that's the thing now that they've got us now, we want to know about their food. So they've, they've, they've pulled us right in in this. Yeah. They're just teasing us now. We won't tell you about food every time. <laughs> but when they're not telling us about food, they're telling us about only fools and horses. It's one or the other. Yeah. One or the other, every time. Uh, so uh, Slavin played in all three group games as Croatia qualified at the group with Portugal uh, and he played in the quarter-final as Croatia lost 2-1 to Germany. Um, yeah, one thing is almost certain is that when the time comes for Billich to quit playing, he will go into the legal profession. And uh, I don't think he did. No, he only managed with West Ham and Croatia. Yeah, well, he's, he's, just, um, fin- he's just finished with West Brom this season, didn't he? At the end of the season. The the photograph so there's a photograph of him with Dion Dublin and both of them are going for the ball with their hand. In fact, Billich has got his hand on the ball 
in Dublin has gone for it with his hand as well. I've no idea what's going on there. All right, if we turn over the page, so we're, we're, get, we're uh, getting on a wee bit, so let's kind of try to rattle, rattle through these uh, last few pages. So uh, this is uh, Gary McAllister, uh, Mac Attack. Uh, a picture of uh, Gary there playing for Scotland, holding on to an opponent's uh, jersey. Uh, on course for glory. Uh, away from soccer, Gary McAllister is an exceptional golfer. Uh, like we were saying earlier, Mark played for Scotland in youth internationals and could probably have become a professional. He still likes to play and is among the best soccer golfers in Britain. <laughs> That's a category, a soccer golfer. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is where he gets to express his opinion about the national lottery. I've never done the lotteries. I don't think it's right. It's really just another form of taxation. <laughs> I like him. I like Gary McAllister. Do you think? Do you think McAllister was as haunted by his penalty miss as Southgate was? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. He, he definitely got a lot of stick off off Scotland fans. I mean, I was at Scotland games where he could just get booed whenever oh. he touched the ball. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily for that penalty miss, but he, he definitely took a lot of stick, uh, undeservedly, I think, yeah. uh, from Scotland fans. Because uh, yeah, again, I, he was a class player, McAllister. I think everywhere, uh, everywhere, everywhere he went. Uh, so he says there, I'm hoping that my best years have yet to come. I can see myself barring serious injuries playing on until I am at least 35. Uh, and he was right, he finished playing for Coventry in 2004 at the age of 39. And uh, McAllister credited his longevity to Gordon Strachan uh, for, for pushing them at training at Leeds. And uh, he saw how fit Strachan was at 34, 35, and still one of the best players in the country, McAllister said. Mm. Um, so, well, at, at 35, he, he, that's when he joined Liverpool, wasn't it? And the one, uh, Mc, McAllister, I think it was later than that. Even he went back to Coventry after. But, but I think I think thirty-seven. Yeah, I th- no, but I think he, he joined Liverpool at thirty-five, and, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. went back to Coventry after that. But in yeah. his time at Liverpool, which was maybe two years or something, he won the FA Cup, the League Cup, the Charity Shield, UEFA Cup, and the UEFA Super Cup. That's yes, that's pretty good going. That he was right. He did have these best years ahead on. Mm. Uh, right to who then? So. Um, <laughs> We'll just have a wee look briefly here at Steve Stone. And there we go. My favourite pre-match meal is pasta. <laughs> Top man, Stevie. Yeah. Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. Another good another good pun there. Very nicely done. Stone alone as well on the other page. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know and what the context of that is, but yeah, it's still a pun. Uh, <laughs> and she says, he's here, he's there, he's got no flipping hair. Stevie Stone. That's going to be one of the songs of Euro 96. Yeah, I'm not sure it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But interestingly, he says that he'd, uh, he'd broken his leg three times, or three leg breaks before uh, before his uh, debut at Nottingham Forest, which is interesting that he's sort of hmm. managed to overcome sort of early setbacks like that to make a career for, make a career for himself. Uh my roommate is my forest skipper, Stuart Pierce. Uh, although I enjoy rooming with Psycho, I, I hate his taste in music and he hates mine. Uh, my my favourite pre-match meal is pasta and my favourite film of all time is The Fugitive. Not that the two are linked. Didn't, what? Yeah, I didn't I, get that. I don't. How could they be linked? I could sit here for three hours and not think of a link between pasta and The Fugitive. I don't quite know what he's getting at there. Do you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to throw something out, maybe the good, the bad and the ugly or something. Spaghetti Western fugitive, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe. That's really, that's really pushing it. But yeah, no, I was exactly the same when I saw that. I just thought, nah, don't get it. 
don't get it. <laughs> I, I have a fruit machine at home, a converted stable, which I bought from Brian Laws. I rigged it so my mates lose. Mm. Nice. Chinny, is that a Chinny Chin Chin moment, do you think? I think that he's just put that yeah, in. Possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Do you know, I, I, I like Steve Stone as a player. I, th- I thought he was one of these ones who were quietly got on with a job, you know, was pretty consistent. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember thinking that he was a, a decent enough player. He didn't get a lot of caps, though, did he? No, I don't think so. No, he just had that sort of wee spell when he was kind of flavour of the month for a while. Uh, and then I think so I fell, fell out of favour a wee bit. Uh, all right, so we'll, let's just look at another couple of players and then, and then, we'll, then we'll wrap up. So we've got Peter Schmeichel and then, and then uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. So let's have a look at uh, Peter Schmeichel, Denmark and Man United, and he's there holding uh, the 1992 Euro Trophy. One crazy keeper, the great Dane, uh, Peter Schmeichel. Uh, and he says, um, well, Shoot says, without doubt, one of the greatest goalies the world has ever seen. And uh, Schmeichel's quoted there saying he, at nine years old he was a forward until he was handed a pair of goalie gloves and told to go and go when he wouldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he says he used to go and watch Stockport County on Friday nights to learn about the style of English football. <laughs> so I, I had a wee look on Twitter to see if I could find any evidence of that. And what I found was a picture of a young Casper Schmeichel in a Stockport County shirt. Oh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently they stayed in uh, Stockport. I couldn't find anything of Stockport fans saying he used to be a regular on the terraces. But and he, uh, he talks about his weird half Danish, half Mancunian accent, and he yeah. he, he <laughs> does have the most bizarre accent, doesn't yeah. he, Michael? Yeah. If you remember uh, Jan Moby when he was at Liverpool, uh, as well had a similar sort of Scouse yeah. Yeah. accent. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah. So he mentions that his parents were Polish, which is why he doesn't have a Danish name. Uh, his father was a very good concert pianist and he taught Peter to play. Mm. Uh, and he says, others say that his son Casper looks like him and he wants to be a keeper too. Yeah. She went on to be. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like little things like that where, you know, you can look back and, you know, you, you know exactly what happened. Righty, righty, hold then. So let's uh, let's jump on to uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. Have we got time for Hakan Sukar as well? Oh well, well we can we... jump jump on to that. It's probably more interesting than the uh, yeah. Jürgen Jürgen the German. Uh, it's they've just they've, they've been kind of running out. Uh, like let, let's just we'll run out of anything clever. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's just let, let's just go with the base. Jürgen the Jürgen the German. Turkish delights. So uh, Hakan Sukar, Turkish delight. You want to take this one, Andy? Yeah. So so there's a. Uh... There's a bit where he says that you're going to go into politics. Uh, he says, I try to spend some spare time helping charities. Perhaps one day when I retire, I shall be Prime Minister or else own a sports shop. So I had a look. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's like either or with that one, isn't it? So in, in 2011, he was elected an MP to the Grand National Assembly of Turkey. And he resigned in 2013. And then in 2016, he was charged with insulting President Erdogan on Twitter. Wow. Um, a warrant was issued for his arrest, charging him with being a member of a designated terrorist organisation in Turkey, at which point he fled to California. And in 2020, he was reported as working as an Uber driver and selling books in the US because his houses, business and bank accounts in Turkey had been seized by the government. Wow. Yeah, that that's a 
that's a lot to happen after your career, isn't it? Maybe you should have. Never, maybe you should have got, owned a sports, a sports shop. shop. <laughs> well, maybe that's one of his businesses. But um, can you imagine going to the states of California? I think it's San Francisco he's in, and um, getting a taxi, and it's Hakan Suka. Hakan me. Wow. Yeah. yeah he was a hell of a player. He was a hell of a player, wasn't he, Suka? Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, quite the mm-hmm. I love, I, you know, the, 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 some of the copy here. He's thrown a kebab into the works of the European <laughs> Championship. Oh, that's not your finest now, mate. Yeah. What, what's the bill of the Bosphorus? I don't, I don't know what that one means. Anybody? No. no? It's because he's a, I like my nickname, he says. A bull is a magnificent animal. He's big and strong and nobody argues with him. That's me. Well, except President Erdogan, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, well we, wrap, well, we wrap it up there then. So the rest of the magazine is, again, just a couple of e-profiles. Uh, Scott Booth, Jamie Redknapp, and there's Alessandro Del Piero on uh, the back uh, the back page. But, and then uh, we finish up by looking at some of the some of the stadiums, uh, just what's happening, what's happening, when. So uh, largely, Mark, good memories of Euro 96. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it was... I, I think it was the the last, you know, the last tournament I really, really, really remember enjoying. <laughs> thinking I can't miss a moment of this, you know. Um, uh, I mean, before that, it had been Italian ninety. I think that was that was the the thing I was most excited about before that. Yeah, um, yeah really good, really good. I wish I'd gone to more games. I wish I'd gone to yeah. more games. I don't remember how I ended up just going to the one I did. Although I'm glad it turned out to be that one, the, yeah. the England uh, Holland game. But yeah, no, it was fantastic. It was, and there was a whole. Was that? This is what I was going to ask you guys. You remember this? Was that the first time people took to putting the flags on the cars? Mm. Do you think that was? The, that's, I don't remember it before then. But suddenly, it seemed like everybody had a bloody flag of St George on the front of their car and out their window and all that. I don't remember yeah. it before then. But was it sort of given away by newspapers possibly at the time as well? Yeah, maybe. And now it's now it's just a thing every time yeah. it's a tournament, mm. you know. But I, I don't remember it before before Euro ninety six. Yeah, it makes sense because it was it was held in England. Yeah. That, that yeah. was something just to, you know, get everybody further up for it. But yeah yeah, I don't yeah. I don't remember it before then. The thing, the thing. I don't know whether we didn't mention this, but the thing that absolutely stunned me when I was going back to do the research for the book and finding out what happened during Euro '96 was that the morning of the England Scotland match yeah. was the morning of the massive IRA bomb in Manchester, massive, massive yeah, yeah. explosion. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine these days a huge terrorist incident and then a massive, major international happening the same day? Which wouldn't yeah. they wouldn't the game wouldn't have gone ahead today, would it? No, yeah. no, you're right. Like you say. Obviously, it features in your book, and I was going. I don't recall. I remember that day well. That game. I don't. I don't recall. No, no. I'd completely forgotten that. And I think there was a game at Old Trafford the next day. Yeah. After that, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So football would have shut down. No, for like two. Completely, they probably they probably would have abandoned the whole tournament. Actually, yeah, possibly. Yeah, they would certainly be talking about it. Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, different different days. Yeah, yeah, completely. Absolutely. And did you get a chance to go and see Wolves much? Not as often. I, not as often. I, you know, I don't go to to Molyneux. I, if I, you know, I come down. Uh, obviously, I now see them playing Fulham next season, which would be right. exciting. Um, but yeah, I see them in London when I can. But uh, I'm, I'm a terrible part-time fan these days. Terrible. <laughs> but but hugely excited. 
at what uh, Nuno is doing with them because they're just yeah. a different team. They are a different team. And yeah. getting things like Connor Cody getting the call up and for England and stuff is really exciting. Yeah, um, also even, though, even though half the team's from Portugal, doesn't matter. Um, there's some amazing players, and he's an amazing manager. I mean, what he's done with Traore over two seasons to turn him into a player that, you know, he'll be playing for some massive European team before too long. Um, and that's Nuno's done that. He's just bought, bought that out of him. I really think he's an amazing manager. And uh, on, on the writing front, Mark, what's next after? after uh, yeah, I'm, I managed to get a book finished in lockdown and that'll be coming out this time next year. It's a, a standalone one, so it's not one of the series. Right. Um, so no no football, no football in that school. Do you have a sort of regiment you're writing? Are you one of these sort of six months on, six months off? No and, it, and it's, no, and it's it's one a year. It's one a year, but it, but how I write it during that year will just depend what else is going on, whether I've got promotion, a lot of promotion for the previous yeah. book going on and other stuff. It's not nine to five. I don't write every day. It, it gets done. It gets done. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, I remember once Ian Banks, I think, I think saying he started in September and then finished it up in the end of March and then the spring, summer was his promotion and his kind of time off kind of thing. Yeah, and travelling around drinking whiskey. Yeah. Um, he, he, had it, he had it sussed, Ian did. He yeah. absolutely had it sussed. <laughs> Okay, so at this point, we'd like to say a special thanks to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. And lastly, we'd also like to thank our producer, Diane Jarden, for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music, recording and rehearsal facilities in Clyde Bank and I'd highly recommend that if you do need those services. And I'd like to thank Mark for, for coming on to the podcast. We hope you've enjoyed going through the magazine. Oh, it's been fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a pleasure. And as always, I'd like to say thank you to Tom for being Tom. Thanks, Andy. And to our listeners out there, please keep listening, sharing, give us some feedback, visit the webpage, uh, visit the, the charity partner as well and until the next time let's shoot the breeze <laughs>